Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you, and we are joined by producer Tim Leonard as well via Zoom. Tim, thanks so much for joining us for this very special episode. You you do things, a lot of things behind the scenes during the season, so it's good to get you your front-facing uh, persona here on the Masson All Access Podcast. Yes, my, my front-facing persona. I like that. Very excited <laughs> to be here. Honored that you guys have uh, given me the power of the tie-breaking pick today. A lot of pressure on me, but I'm eager to get going. So Tim is a perfect fit for our special episode today. We are doing the free agency bracket, which Ooh. means we have this beautiful bracket here. If you're not watching the podcast, this is one of those episodes you definitely should be watching on uh, YouTube and Facebook. We have concocted a bracket filled with players who are set to be free agents that we think the Orioles may sign. And Tim also covers Syracuse basketball, so he's used to bracketology type talk. But essentially, <laughs> we have here, how many players are in this, Brendan? Eight times four? 32? Ooh, that's tough math. 32. 32. 32 players, and we have it broken down by position. So essentially, the regions like you would have in a normal March Madness bracket, are actually position groups. So our four position groups, if you were heard our last podcast, four biggest needs for the Orioles, we believe, going into free agency. Catcher, i.e. a backup catcher for Adley Rutschman. Starting pitcher, we all know that that is an area of need for the Orioles. Middle infield, as they return only Ramon Urias, Jorge Mateo, and Jemai Jones going into next season. And third base, as they return pretty much only Kelvin Gutierrez as their everyday third baseman. So we identified those four main areas as places that the Orioles might need an upgrade and could go for an upgrade. Yeah, and as you can see, they are not. we are not ranking them based on the best player. They are ranked one through eight in each category as who we think is the most likely to get signed by the Orioles. Notably, you will not see guys like Carlos Correa because he did not fall under the category of the top eight most likely middle infielders that we thought the Orioles would sign. This is not a best player bracket. This no. is who we think the Orioles could sign. And I don't know what the prize will be if we guess correctly the player that the Orioles will sign. I think that... I think Michael Elias will award us, us the opportunity to determine the contract. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think he will let us make the number one overall pick. I in, think so too. In next year's draft. Yeah, I think that's the fair reward there. All right, Brendan, should we just dive right into this thing? We have so many players and I so many matchups to get to here. Let's start first and foremost with the catcher region of this bracket. Now we have eight players, of course, in each region and Brendan and I are going to kind of hash it out and Tim will be our tiebreaker. First and foremost, Sandy Leon may know him from his days uh, previously in the AL East, but he spent the 2020 one season with the Miami Marlins. He's 33 years old, will be at the start of next season. Played just 83 games for Miami, hit just 183 with four homers at 505 OPS and a negative .8 baseball reference war. And he's going up against the number eight seed, Tucker Barnhart, who is the much better catcher. But the reason that he is given the number eight seed here is because it's unlikely that the Orioles will be able to get 
a starting caliber catcher considering the presence of Adley Rutschman. Yeah, there are not a lot of good catchers in the league. Tucker Barnhart has not put up spectacular numbers throughout his career, but he is still one of the better catchers in the game somehow after having a war of .2 with a .247 batting average. He's very good defensively, and that's probably the reason he's going to get paid. He's, he's good defensively, and he is average offensively. He's going to get paid by somebody else. It's not going to be the Orioles. So I think here, Sandy Leon gets the edge. Barnhart also has a $7.5 million option to remain with the Reds. He, they very well could not pick that up, considering he's probably not worth that much money uh, in the open market. However, it would be hard for the Orioles to convince a free agent catcher to come here, knowing that Adley Rutschman will have this everyday job starting perhaps by mid to late May. So odds are you're not even going to be able, let alone how much money you offer a guy, although there's probably a certain price a lot of guys would take, but a lot of them are not going to uh, sign with the Orioles knowing that Adley Rutschman is going to have that job. Yeah, I think it's Leon. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Sandy Leon to advance as the one seed. Tim, do you concur with both of these? Your opinion doesn't really matter because we've already uh, ruled you out here, but what do you say? I do concur, though. I think Leon's a good fit for what the Orioles are after. And there's a lot of these catchers, I guess, that are kind of in this age range right now. But Sandy Leon did kind of help out a young Miami pitching staff last year, too. Could be a good type of mentor guy for Adley as well. Absolutely. So Sandy Leon moves on. All right. Next up is the 4-5, Brendan. And here we have Roberto Perez of the uh, Cleveland Guardians, soon to be. He will be 33 next year, as will Sandy Leone. Uh, and he has a $7 million team option for to remain in Cleveland that will likely get declined. And the number five seed here is Austin Romine, who will also be 33. He is one of several Cubs catchers in this bracket. There are several guys that, that kind of fit this bill here. He played just 28 games last year, hit 217 with only a homer. He had a wrist injury that caused him to miss most of the season. So this is a tight matchup here. Roberto Perez versus Austin Romine. Brendan, which one would you give the edge to? Personally, I'm going to give the edge to Austin Romine. The five upsetting the four here. I think Roberto Perez, yes, he's dealt with injuries. I think when healthy, he is probably more likely to be a starter somewhere. He is talented enough to be a starter somewhere. He was not fantastic when he was healthy. But I think his expectation is probably that he can start somewhere. Austin Romine has been a career backup, and he's been pretty good at it. He was a good backup for the Yankees for a while. That's kind of his role. And I think Austin Romine might be more likely to come into Baltimore and accept the role of, hey, you'll get a chance at the beginning of the season, and then you're going to back up Adley Rutschman, and you're going to work with a young pitching rotation. So I think Austin Romine, because he's used to that role, would probably be expecting that more and might be more likely to sign. Yeah, and he did join that Cubs team knowing kind of what the situation was that they had multiple catchers there. So I would go Romine as well. Tim, you were ruled out again, but what would you pick if you had to pick? I'm with you guys. I think Austin Romine in a buzzer beater in the last seconds here, if we're going to make it March Madness space. Two guys that I guess are sort of coming off injuries and pretty similar, but I think Romine would be more better suited to take the Orioles job, basically. Yeah, yeah, a 4-5 uh, matchup, you know, not exactly an upset, like an 8-9. You know, very close upset. Yeah. But uh, two evenly matched opponents there. All right, next up in the catcher division, Kurt Suzuki, of course, m- more known for his uh, time down in 
DC winning a championship with the Washington Nationals, but he spent last year with the LA Angels. He's getting up there. He's 38 years old, hit just 224 last year with six homers. Uh, He is the three seed, and then Manny Pena for the Milwaukee Brewers. He spent his entire career in Milwaukee, hit just 189 last year, but had a 732 OPS and 13 homers, which was a career high for Milwaukee, and he actually generated 1.3 baseball reference war up there in terms of catchers. So Manny Pena, probably going to look for a starting job against Kurt Suzuki, who may at this point accept a backup role. For me, that's why I seeded Suzuki 3 and Pena 6, and I would give the edge to Suzuki here. Yeah, Pena is the better catcher, and he had a career year last year, like you said, without 1.3 war in 75 games. He didn't play much in 2020, so how much do you trust that 2021 season? He's also very good defensively, though. So if you think Manny Pena can come and hit 13 home runs for your team again, you might sign him as somebody that you think can be a starter. Kurt Suzuki is probably going to need a bounce-back deal. He's probably going to need somebody to take a chance on him And maybe the Orioles are a good fit where he can play the first half of the season. If he has any value, maybe you can trade him at the deadline as well. I would give the edge to Suzuki just because I think Pena will probably get more money somewhere. So once again, Tim, your opinion doesn't matter, but we want to hear it anyway. You guys, why'd you even invite me? You guys agree (laughs) way too much, I'd say. But no, Kurt Suzuki, he's 38 years old, which kind of surprised me. He's getting up there. Offensive numbers were not good last year, but again, we're not picking the best player here. We're picking the most likely player, so I agree with you guys. Absolutely, yeah. 38 is is kind of the spot where he's probably going to need to accept a mentorship-type role here in right. Clubhouse. All right, so Kurt Suzuki moves on, and our last first-round matchup before we change divisions, change regions here, uh, that would be the 7-2 matchup, and for the 7, it's Christian Vasquez uh, with... The Boston Red Sox, he's 31 years old. Now, he has a $7 million option. All these $7 million options for catchers. Uh, It would have been an $8 million option if he got four more plate appearances. So, very unfortunate the way that went down for uh, for Christian Vasquez. But they could decide that they're not going to pick up his option anyway, and he will have a $250,000 buyout. Now, he hit a dramatic postseason homer, even though he played somewhat sporadically for them this past year. Probably is going to get a starting job elsewhere. That's why I gave him the seven going up against the number two. Another Chicago Cubs catcher and another guy who's up there. Robinson Chirinos, 37 years old, played just 45 games for Chicago last year, hit 227. 778 OPS is pretty high and a positive war. Uh, now, he does have a Houston connection, but it was after Mike Elias left, so there's no holdover there. Um, probably going to be good enough Maybe good enough to get a starting job? Uh, He's 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 on the fringe. He's borderline. His peak was from 2017 to 2019, where he had three straight seasons of at least 17 home runs. And again, this is a case where are you going to believe that Robinson Chirinos can get back to his form from 2017 to 2019? I don't know if he's good enough to get a starting role somewhere, especially at the age of 37. So I think Chirinos is probably more likely to sign, especially because the Red Sox might hold on to Christian yeah, Vasquez. Exactly. That that adds a layer there. So right. we're going chalk again here with Robinson Chirinos. Tim, what do you say? Yeah, I think the Red Sox will probably bring back Vasquez if I had to guess right now, just because as we're talking about here, there's not a lot of great starting catchers out there. And he's pretty durable. He's done some good things for them in the postseason. So 
given that, I think Chirinos wins this one pretty easily. Yeah, it's just not a stacked category and not a stacked position group. Uh, and it, it goes to show, I think, also how few great catchers there are in baseball right now. You can really name, you know, list them on one hand. You, you start talking Buster Posey, JT Riomuto. Other than that, there are very few. So, you know, Adley Rutschman is going to not have too much competition to be the best catcher in the American League once he debuts. Yeah, once he <laughs> debuts, he legitimately might be a top three catcher in the American League, yeah. like, immediately. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we have completed the first round of the catcher region. We should change regions. Let's go over to you, Brendan. Do you want to do third base? Let's do third base, Paul. Yeah. So first matchup for the third base region. Somebody familiar in the 1-8, the one seed, Jonathan VR spent last season with the Mets. He was pretty good. He's versatile. He can play third, shortstop, or second base, but we're throwing him in the third base category for now against the eight seed, Chris Owings, who was fantastic in 50 plate appearances. He hit 326. Who knows if that's going to carry over into a successful 2021. He's versatile as well. He can play infield or outfield, but he's probably best suited at second base, which is why I put him at the eight seed for third base, because you you would kind of be forcing him into a role where he's not really too familiar. Yeah, two 30-year-old guys here. There will be a lot of overlap, like you said, between categories like third base and middle infield. You have a lot of versatile players on this list. Bringing back Jonathan VR would be fun. I don't know if he quite fits what the Orioles need. I don't know if defensively he's quite good enough. And it was, you know, it would be a great story, the fact that they traded him away and then would bring him back. And I, I think that he enjoyed his time in Baltimore after he came back in the um, Jonathan Scope trade. I don't know how far I want to advance him in this bracket, but I will give him the edge over Chris Owings here. Yeah, I think he fits well in terms of what the Orioles need Depth-wise, I don't know if he fits perfectly as a starting everyday third baseman, because like you said, defensively, he is not fantastic at the hot corner. But if you need somebody who can play a good amount of games at third and then maybe bounce around to second base and shortstop, depending on what Jorge Mateo and Jemai Jones and Ramon Arias are doing, I think VR fits that role pretty well. Yeah. Uh, Tim, what do you say about Jonathan VR? Well, I think this is interesting because third base to me is the toughest region to pick because all the other position groups, we kind of know what the Orioles are thinking of doing. Like catcher, it's pretty simple what they're going to be doing. The question for third base is, do they want to get a starting third baseman here or do they just want a depth piece? And I mean, VR could be a versatile piece in the middle infield as well, which we'll hit on and they definitely need some of that as well. Yeah. All right. So Jonathan VR moves on as the one seed. Yeah, the four five matchup is really interesting. I think this is a fun matchup. The four is Marwin Gonzalez, 33 years old. He signed with the Red Sox at the beginning of the year, and a lot of people thought that was a good move. He did not play well for Boston. He had he had a slash line of 201, 281, 285, but he does have a 761 OPS from 2014 to 2019, so he's got a history of playing pretty well. He was key in those Astros World Series teams, and he's versatile again. He can play third, short. He can play the outfield. And then Kyle Seeger, the five seed. This is the highest seeded guy on this bracket that I think is probably going to command a lot of money in free agency. He had a career year last year. He didn't hit very well for average, but he hit a career high in home runs with 35. He would be a a nice left-handed bat to split up Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle in the middle of the Orioles lineup. A veteran presence at third base. 
This is a toss-up for me because I don't know if the Orioles would spend this much money to go get Kyle Seager, but he makes so much sense. Yeah, this would be, I think either of these would be described, especially Kyle Seager would be a splash-type signing on the lower end of the splash specter. But Kyle Seager, you mentioned those homers that he hit, but that 212 batting average for a guy that, uh, you know, really throughout his career has been a contact hitter. That one was a little bit surprising. Been very durable throughout his career. He's missed more than 10 games in a season only once in the last 10 seasons. So you you pretty much know what you're getting. But for a guy who's 34 years old, I don't know if the Orioles are going to shell out the kind of money that Kyle Seager will command. And the, the player comp that I think of for Seager when trying to determine what kind of contract he's going to get, I look at Josh Donaldson who hit free agency a couple years ago. He was a three-time All-Star, had a great age 33 season with Atlanta. In his walk year, he hit 37 homers compared to Seager's 35 this past season. Signed with Minnesota on a very expensive deal and has performed well in that contract. You know, not superstar All-Star level, but he's, he's lived up to that. So I think teams could look at the Josh Donaldson signing and say that worked out for Minnesota despite the fact that the team's not very good, you could say the signing was good. Let's hand that same kind of deal to Kyle Seager here, even though he's 34. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to give the edge to Kyle Seager here. I, I've made the argument on a few different podcasts over the last few weeks. I just think it makes sense. I don't know if I'm going to advance him terribly far in this bracket because I don't know how likely it is. But just for the fact that I think it makes a lot of sense and would be a good move for the Orioles, I'm going to say Kyle Seager. Brendan, I hate to break your heart. I'm going with Marwan Gonzalez here. Well, we need to get Tim involved somehow. Yeah, because he's just been agreeing with us far too often. Well, hold on. The reason I, uh, well, let me state my case for Marwan Gonzalez. Okay. He has the Houston connection with Mike Elias. He spent his first seven big league seasons with Houston. So that was when Mike Elias was there. And he hit just 199 before he was released by Boston and picked up by Houston again. But he can play everywhere in the diamond. I mean, there's legitimately not a position that he didn't play in 2020 outside of center field, catcher, and pitcher. He's a solid force. And the Orioles don't need a center fielder. So the fact that his versatility is is going to play very well uh, for the Orioles, who could, you could make a case, you know, you sign a Marwin Gonzalez, maybe you have less of a need to sign a middle infielder because now you can use him at third, you can use him at short, you can use him at second, depending on the availabilities and production of Jemai Jones, of Jorge Mateo, of Ramon Arias, in addition to he can fill in in a pinch in the outfield. So for for me, Marwan Gonzalez will be less expensive. He would be would have been a much sexier signing a few years ago yes. than he is now, coming off of the down 2021 he had. So I think he's a bounce-back candidate. It makes too much sense, Marwan Gonzalez here for me. But now we got to go to Tim for the tiebreaker. Who do you take, Kyle Seeger or Marwan Gonzalez, you think would be the better or more likely signing by the Orioles? Yeah, this is great. I, I have all the power now for once. <laughs> I, Brendan, I really agree with you a lot with the Kyle Seeger points, and I think you make a compelling case as to why he would be a good fit, good veteran guy for the locker room. But I just think given Mike Elias's track record in history, Marwin Gonzalez makes a lot more sense, or is the more likely one of the two here. And maybe it's some recency bias because he actually was pretty decent in the World Series, and he had a big hit, I think it was in Game 5. But I think Marwan Gonzalez would probably be a pretty good ad for the Orioles as well because Paul touched on his versatility. I think he's a good matchup here for Kyle Seager. I maybe would have pushed Kyle Seager along for fun if it was someone else, but I think Gonzalez is actually a good fit. 
Yeah, I, I think Marwin Gonzalez is a good fit, and that's why he's the four seed here. Ah, maybe it was just my own personal bias with Kyle Seeger. I just really thing. wanted it to if, happen. If he got a better, you know, some teams, they, they go into the tournament, you draw a tough first, uh, you know, game on Selection Sunday, yeah. and, and all of a sudden a team that had a whole lot of promise, they can't get out of uh, the first round, can't get to the round of 32. So. Yeah, Marwin Gonzalez squeaks by. He does. Kyle Seeger. The next matchup is interesting because it's it's utility guys. We've got Ahir Adrianza against Leuri Garcia. Adrianza, 32 years old. He is a glove-first switch hitter. He can play everywhere. He is a solid defender at third, which is where I'm slating him here for the Orioles. And then Leuri Garcia is probably just a better version of Adrianza, but that means a more expensive version of Adrianza. Garcia slash 267, 335, 376 this year. He had a war of two. Again, another switch hitting utility player that can play pretty much everywhere and is solid defensively. So this is pretty much just a case of, do you want Adrianza or do you want the more expensive version of Leori Garcia? They're two very similar players. They are. Uh, I would give the edge to the slightly more versatile player here, which is Leori Garcia. Only positions he didn't play this past year were catcher, pitcher, and first base. I think that versatility is going to be key for whoever the Orioles sign for the infield. Two very similar players. Leori Garcia is going to be 31. Here, Adrianza is 32. So I would go with the slightly younger guy here in Leori Garcia. But this is a toss-up for me. Yeah, I'm going to say Garcia as well for the fact that I think that Garcia can probably come in and start for you at third base. Whereas I think Adrianza profiles as more of a bench utility guy. Right. Garcia is a starting utility guy where you can bounce him anywhere in the lineup every day. Adrianza seems like he would just kind of be added to the mix with Mateo Jones and Arias and wouldn't really solve a ton of problems. Even though he is less expensive, I don't think Garcia is so expensive that it puts him out of the realm of possibility. So Garcia will move on anyway, but let's get Tim's thoughts. Who would you advance here, Tim? Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think Garcia is a pretty dangerous six seed in this region here because they are pretty similar players. It's kind of a toss up, but I think you guys hit on the right points there for Garcia. All right. Next up, Brendan. Next up, we've got the two seven, which this is a weird matchup as well. It's two guys that did not have good 2021s and you are hoping that they get back to some previous form. The two seed is Jake Lamb, 31 years old. He hit just 194 last year, had a negative 0.3 war, but his peak was back in 2016-2017 where he slashed 248, 345, 498 with the Diamondbacks over that stretch, and a lot of people were excited about Jake Lamb. He would need a big bounce back to have any value at the deadline, but he's pretty good defensively at third. And then there's Matt Carpenter, who is just kind of the older version of Jake Lamb that you also need to bounce back from. Matt Carpenter, 36. He was worse than Lamb this year, hit just 169, had a negative one war, was not great defensively at third. But again, if you can get some form of what Matt Carpenter was a few years ago, you could get some good value for him. And even if, even if he's not playing great, Matt Carpenter is still a good veteran presence who has been a part of of a lot of winning Cardinals teams that could be valuable to a young Orioles team. Matt Carpenter was so much a big part of this past winning Cardinals team, despite the fact that he was not good at all. And I know he's yeah. like a legendary Cardinal, at least of this century, but hitting 169, which is two points higher than what Chris Davis had a couple years ago, and he played 130 games for a Cardinals team that made the playoffs. 
which is you'll wonder if they had a better option there. What yeah. if maybe the Cardinals don't need the wild card and maybe they win the division? Um, I don't know why he got so much playing time. I think he's probably a career Cardinal type guy. I don't know if he would want to take a deal in Baltimore near the end of his career like that. And frankly, I don't think he's good enough for the Orioles to say that's a meaningful upgrade over the guys that we already have. At this point, I'd rather have Kelvin Gutierrez, who's 27 years old and hit better than Matt Carpenter last year. So I would go with Jake Lamb here, even though his numbers weren't great. At least Jake Lamb is 31 compared to Matt Carpenter's 36. But frankly, I don't think either one of these guys is is going to be assigning for the Orioles. Yeah, Carpenter, you would just bring in because you want the veteran presence and you are hoping for a bounce back. I mean, he did have an 847 OPS from 2011 to 2018. Right. But that's a few years that's ago several years at ago. this point. Jake Lamb is probably more likely to have a bounce back. You are hoping for the same kind of resurgence, but Lamb, it's it's much more likely than Matt Carpenter. Yeah, I would go Lamb here as well, Tim. Yeah, I don't think Carpenter has any value of a trade deadline move, yeah. given where he's at age-wise. He has some brand name appeal. Like He's kind of like a Georgetown of the March Madness, maybe. I just sort of said that because we're three Syracuse guys on here. Maybe declining a little bit, but brand name appeal. But... I do think Jake Lamb is more in the Orioles wheelhouse of, okay, we can sign you for a cheaper deal, prove it type of contract. And he is pretty versatile as well. Yeah. Um, got to, got to throw that Syracuse plug in there. Anytime you possibly have can. to. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we have Jake Lamb moves on that completes the third base uh, side of the bracket, but we do have to get into the middle infielders. And there are a lot of guys here that can play third base uh, even though, and we just kind of had to see it based on what, what kind of position we think they could play for the Orioles going forward. So, Brendan, we're going to start with the number one seed in the middle infield bracket. It's going to be Wilmer Flores. And the reason I picked Flores is because he is versatile, checks that box. He's only 30 years old, and the Orioles, as we know, like their 30 to 31-year-old shortstops, i.e. Freddie uh, Freddie, uh, Galvis and Jose Iglesias. Uh, And he had a good year last year for San Francisco. He hit 262 with 18 homers, a 782 OPS, and he was playing all over the diamond. Played third, uh, he played 58 games at third, he played 34 at first base, and he played 30 games at second base, which of course the Orioles could use. I think the Giants are likely to re-sign Wilmer Flores, but I think he would be very attractive if he does hit the free agent market. And then going up against the eight seed. Now this one was a toss-up when I was picking the seeds between Carlos Correa and Chris Taylor. I wanted a token high-priced free agent here to just get knocked off. For us just to say, this guy is not going to sign with the Orioles. Obviously, we we don't think Carlos Correa is even going to be close to the Orioles' price range, even though he is a great player. And Chris Taylor, not nearly the player Carlos Correa is, but given his versatility for the Dodgers last year and his relative uh, youth, 31 years old, can play all over the diamond, played center, left, right, shortstop, second base, third base last year. He's going to command, in my mind, at least $10 million a year. Yeah, he's going to get a lot of money, but I'm glad that you picked Chris Taylor as the one token. Look, I'm not going to make an argument that he is going to beat Wilmer Flores in this bracket. I just think out of anybody where you could make a hypothetical hey, the Orioles should really sign this guy, it's Chris Taylor. Yeah. Because he is going to be in your lineup every day. He is a fantastic all-star caliber player, and he fits a perfect role where if the Orioles are calling up prospects and say they need to play somebody in center field or in right field, you can move Chris Taylor wherever you need to move Chris Taylor. So if there is one guy 
that you would give a three, four, five-year deal to and say, hey, you're versatile enough to bounce anywhere where we need to fill, where a prospect didn't work out, or, hey, we have a prospect that's fantastic and left, so move to whatever you need him to do. Chris Taylor could fill that role. The Orioles won't sign him. I'm just saying they should. Would you, are you going to move him on? Are you going to? Oh, no, I'm okay. still going to say Wilmer You're still Flores say because Wilmer this Flores. is a who do we think the Orioles could sign? <laughs> yes. Not who do I think personally the Orioles should sign? Yeah. I would say Chris Taylor for that, but realistically, it's going to be Wilmer Flores. Tim, would you agree? Yeah, Chris Taylor is out of the Orioles price range, unfortunately. And it's amazing because I think he's still maybe the fourth or fifth best middle infielder in this class. But that's just because this is so loaded, this free agency class. But yeah, I, I think this is an obvious one. Yeah, this is this is a very deep. There were guys that I think could very well fit this role for the Orioles that we could not include on this bracket just because of the depth that we have here. So Wilmore Flores moves on as the one seed. Next up, we got the four five. That's going to be another San Francisco guy with the four seed. That's Donovan Solano. A lot of these guys in that Giants middle infield who had good age, you know, 32, 33 seasons for San Francisco, how much of that is real and how much of that was just the system. Donovan Solano last year, in 101 games, he hit 280, had seven homers in his age 33 season, registered 1.1 baseball reference war. He played shortstop in 2020, so he has the ability to bounce between second base and shortstop, can play third base in a pinch. I think he'd be a very good depth piece. The only thing is he's not a great defensive infielder where he is versatile, kind of like Pat Vileka. You can throw him at different positions, but is he going to give you plus defense at any one of those positions? And the five seed is an old friend. Jose Iglesias hits free agency, 32 years old. Of course, the Orioles traded him to the Angels last offseason. He finished the year with the Boston Red Sox after the Angels let him go. He hit 271 uh, with nine homers. And for a guy who throughout his career has been known as a very good defensive shortstop. His defense has certainly fallen off and which is to be expected when you're 31, 32 years old playing a premier defensive position, but has it fallen off to the point where the Orioles might not be interested in bringing back a Jose Iglesias? I don't think so. I'm going to give the edge to Jose Iglesias here. He also played pretty well when he signed with Boston in a very short sample size. He hit 356 in 23 games, kind of reminiscent of that 2020 season with the Baltimore Orioles, where he plays very well over a short stretch of time. Donovan Solano, whenever I think of him, I always think of the fact that he kind of randomly led the league in batting average for a while a few seasons ago. But like you said, he's not great defensively, and he is okay at second and not very good at short, whereas Jose Iglesias, yes, he is not as good as he used to be defensively at shortstop, but also if you moved him to second, he would probably be much better defensively. A team just hasn't really done that yet because they haven't needed him to. I think if you're looking at two guys with Solano and Iglesias, you would opt more towards a the position of more value, which is shortstop, and I think Jose Iglesias fits that role better than Donovan Solano does. I would go with Jose Iglesias here as well, and though he did perform well down the stretch, he didn't even make the postseason roster for Boston. So my only concern with Jose Iglesias, my biggest concern, aside from the defense declining, is the fact that is he going to hold any trade value? You know, you want these guys that you're going to bring in this offseason to potentially have some value at the deadline if you need to move them and call up a prospect. So I don't know if Jose Iglesias, given the fact that he was let go in the middle of the season, to me that says teams don't value him 
as highly as they did an offseason ago when they were able to trade him to the Angels. However, I do think Jose Iglesias is the more likely option here because he also had a good stretch with the Orioles, and Brandon Hyde loved having him. Great clubhouse leader. I think he fits here as well. Tim, do you agree that Jose Iglesias should move on? Yeah, I think Iglesias, he also wasn't eligible for the postseason roster. It was kind of a weird rule where True. I think because the Red Sox signed him after September 1st, but Brendan hit on it. He was one of the hotter bats in a very small sample size, but on the Red Sox roster as the time they were trending into the postseason. Good locker room guy, I guess you could say, too. And there's the history there of his relationship with the Orioles previously, so I give him a slight edge. All right, a 3-6 matchup for the ages. I yeah. love this 3-6. Andrelton Simmons is our number three. 32 years old, signed a one-year deal with Minnesota last offseason. One of the better shortstop defenders of the past 10 years, of course, has bounced around Angels, Braves before that. Signed a one-year $10.5 million deal with the Twins, and I don't think he's going to make anywhere near that no. this offseason, considering the 2021 that he had. Hit just 223 with just three homers and a 5 58 OPS, but his defense remained so good that he still had 1.4 baseball reference war for Minnesota. And then the sixth seed is another old friend, a slightly more recent friend, Freddie Galvis, who the Orioles had this past year, was traded to the Phillies right before the deadline. He's 32 now, signed that $1.5 million deal with the O's last offseason, hit 249 with nine homers in 72 games for the O's. They traded him to the Phillies for Tyler Birch. And then uh, situation worked out pretty well for him. Didn't make the postseason, but he was given a $250,000 uh, bonus for getting traded. So worked out for player and team. Maybe it's worth a reunion here. Yeah, this matchup is very interesting. You know exactly what you're getting when you are signing Freddie Galvis. He is okay offensively. He is okay defensively. He is a solid veteran shortstop. Andrelton Simmons, you are really hoping for a bounce back if you sign him and he has a chance to boom because if Andrelton Simmons plays averagely offensively he is so good defensively that he would have a ton of value yeah I think when you say you know what you're getting in Freddie Galvis you know what you're getting defensively in Andrelton right. Simmons still now I yeah. his defense will likely decline in a year or two you know, once the shorts, it's like they fall off a cliff once they hit 32, unfortunately. However, it was good enough last year. For me, I think that his price range is going to go all the way down because what playoff team can look at him and say, we can fit him in our lineup every day because his defense is that good? Because the offense was so down last year. I don't know if a playoff team can convince himself, can convince themselves that he's worth an everyday spot. They might go to him and say, we need you to be a bench piece. And if he's going get, to get an everyday starting opportunity in Baltimore, he might prefer that. No, it's not It's not worth the risk for a contending team at this point, especially with the current shortstop market where yeah. you have guys that can hit 30 home runs for you. Why would you get Andrelton Simmons that has a 57 OPS plus? But over his career, he is a 700 OPS guy. Yeah. And combine that with elite defense, that's one of the better shortstops in the game. Yeah. So if Andrelton Simmons can sign somewhere and for the first half of the year have an OPS that hovers around 700 while keeping up that elite defense, the Orioles could get a haul for him at the trade deadline. Tim, I think we know which way we're trending, but what do you say? Yeah, I candidly really, and this is kind of a heart play, but I really think Simmons makes a lot of sense for the Orioles this year. You guys have been talking about these other middle infielders, and a lot of the points you're bringing up is, I don't know about his defense, 
we know what we're getting with Simmons's glove here. And for where the Orioles are at right now with a lot of young pitchers, even some young infielders, I think Simmons is perfect for mentoring those young infielders and then just helping out a young pitching staff to have a reliable middle infield glove there. It's sort of laughable how good his war was last year, considering how bad his offensive numbers were. Absolutely. I think he hit the nail on the head there. The only question I would have is how much would you have to sign him for? Obviously, he's going to take a major league deal. Some of these guys might take minor league deals. You may have to give him $5 million, but I think that's that fine. I, I, would, I think that's a good deal. I probably would too, yeah. considering, like you said, if, if you hit on, if he's, his, he rediscovers his offense, you really could get something good back at the trade deadline. Um, all right, Andrelton Simmons moves on past Freddie Galvis. Although I think Freddie Galvis is a possibility as well. Yeah, and then, just drew a tough matchup in the first round. Exactly. Uh, gets bounced early. And then our 7-2 uh, matchup here. Now, two seed, I went with Cesar Hernandez, who was 32 years old, spent the first half of the year with Cleveland, and then was uh, ended up getting dealt to the Chicago White Sox. He has a $6 million team option that the White Sox now inherit, but that's almost definitely going to get declined. He hit just 232, 18 homers. He's pretty much just a second baseman. Um, and that is probably going to hurt him here. However, I think he kind of fits the mold of a Freddie Galvis uh, and a Jose Iglesias. He's probably not as good of a defender at second base as, as those guys are at shortstop, uh, but they will need a, a second baseman here. And look, the Orioles, Orioles already had two-thirds of the Phillies' middle 20, mid-2010s Field. They already had Freddie Galvis. They already had Michael Franco last year. Why not make it three out of three with Cesar Hernandez? Exactly. And then the seventh seed, Eduardo Escobar, 33 years old. First half with Arizona was an all-star. Second half with Milwaukee after the trade deadline. Uh, hit 253 with 28 homers, 786 OPS. A very good season. The reason I have him as a seven seed here is I think he's going to command a little bit too much money, and he's probably going to want to go to a contending team. Eduardo Escobar is going to get paid. He is a switch-hitting, versatile player who can play anywhere in the infield. He's going to get a lot of money. He's not going to get as much as somebody like Chris Taylor. I would make a similar argument for the Orioles signing him as I would make to Chris Taylor. But Eduardo Escobar is going to make some cash this offseason, and it's not going to be from Baltimore. Cesar Hernandez, Eduardo Escobar. Tim, what do you say? Yeah, I think Escobar is sort of similar to Kyle Seeger, I guess, because I wouldn't mind it if the Orioles went after him. And I think he actually does fit pretty well timetable wise with where the prospects are at and what he would bring to the locker room as well. And he was really pretty solid last year. But at the same time, he's probably just almost too good and too pricey for the Orioles to consider right now. Yeah. All right. That wraps up the first round as we finish out the middle infield division. So we're moving on to already. Oh, well, no. We've got one more first round. No, we don't. We don't. What? No. <laughs> we've got the starting pitchers. I, know, I totally forgot the most important position. I'm just going to yeah. ignore that. It's out of my line of vision if you're watching here. So I, I entirely forgot. Well, that. you've got to write for this one. So you got to be ready. Yeah, really. Be ready All right. Go. Let me get the let me get the marker ready. Brendan, why don't you introduce our one eight matchup? Yeah, let's do it. The one seed is Vince Velasquez. He is the definition of a stuff guy that you need to figure out. He did not have a great ERA. He had really high walk numbers. He has a 495 career ERA, which is not great, but his strikeout numbers are fantastic. He just needs to get the walks down. He needs to get that command in line. He's just 29 years old. So in terms of the stuff that he can give you, he is one of the better pitchers on the market. He just needs to get the command under control, which is a 
massive if, if you can do that with Vince Velasquez. And then he goes up against the eight seed Eduardo Rodriguez, formerly in the Baltimore Orioles system. He would be a fantastic number two or number three starter for a few years down the line. Whether the Orioles want to pay that money right now, up for debate. But Eduardo Rodriguez was better than his ERA would indicate last year. He had a 474 ERA in 2021. His expected ERA, 355. Eduardo Rodriguez, good season, just a matter of whether the Orioles would pay that much money to get him. And if you recall, he was traded for Andrew Miller back in 2014, and some national writers seemed to think that was a mistake by the Orioles to get Andrew Miller, who was excellent down the stretch for the Orioles hmm. in half a season and was excellent in the postseason, hmm. but we're not going to... We're no, not gonna, we're not. Even the fact that Eduardo that. Rodriguez, he, he was pitching one good game for the Boston Red Sox in the postseason, but has a 497 career postseason ERA. Yeah, we're not in that dumb, man. Anyway, um, or 497 this past po- uh, postseason. All right. For me, this is probably going to be Vince Velasquez, but I don't love it because he just doesn't, as tempting as that stuff is, you know, he's, you said he's just 29, but. If you're looking for a stuff guy, you want to be maybe a little bit younger than 29 because throughout his career, he just not has not put together a great season. Phillies thought they could fix him. Padres thought they could fix him this past year. Orioles might talk themselves into it, but I don't know. I, I would give him the edge over Eduardo Rodriguez because I think Rodriguez is going to make too much money. But I don't think Vince Velasquez is a terribly... I think they would shoot a little bit higher when they're signing a free agent pitcher. I think they probably would. I think Vince Velasquez is probably more likely to get signed as maybe like the second starting pitcher that the Orioles sign if they go out and sign two. He feels similar to Jorge Lopez, where the stuff is good enough where you want to give him a shot and see if he can get the commands under more control. And if he does, he would be a quality starting pitcher. And then if not... Maybe you can bounce him into a bullpen role. I just think the stuff is intriguing enough where the Orioles might go after it. Yeah, that that career 9.9 strikeouts per nine is ridiculous. It's yeah. just the 3.7 walks per nine that are incredibly troubling for Velasquez. So we're both going to move him on. Tim, what do you say? I think Velasquez is more of a Mike Elias type player out of the two, just because he does throw hard. He does have stuff. I I'm kind of with you, Paul, though. I don't really get too excited about him, and he's maybe the weakest one seed if we were looking at all the other position groups here, but I definitely think you move him on past Eduardo Rodriguez, though. Vinny Velo, as he went by. Yeah. Philly. Now, an interesting 4-5 matchup here, because I messed up my Google Doc. Matt Harvey, the number four seed, obviously a familiar friend. He was not fantastic for the Orioles. He had a... 360 ERA in his first six games. He had a 418 ERA in the final 10 and uh, was really bad in the middle. So if you can get the beginning six games and the last 10 games, Matt Harvey might be great, (laughs) but he's familiar with Baltimore and Mike Elias could be inclined to bring him back. And then Andrew Heaney is a really interesting case. He was traded to New York at the deadline. He gives up a ton of home runs. And do you really want to sign a guy with over two home runs per nine innings to Oriole Park at Camden Yards is the question. But Andrew Heaney has pretty good stuff. Last year, he had a 583 ERA. But again, one of those guys that advanced metrics seem to like. He had a 401 expected ERA. So Andrew Heaney, the stuff is definitely better than Matt Harvey. He has more potential. He's just 30 years old. But the home run numbers last year are really bad. And can you afford to bring that to Camden Yards? I don't think he was as bad 
as he looked with the Yankees down the stretch. Because the Yankees put a spotlight on him. They did, and they, they used him out of the bullpen, which he had really not done a whole lot in his career. He was pretty much a starter before that. I don't think that was his, the best way to use him. And, of course, you know, it's, he's in Homer-happy Yankee Stadium, but Camden Yards is Homer-happy right. here. Orioles, when it comes to Matt Harvey, front office seemed to like him. Brandon Hyde, we know, liked his veteran presence. Um, you know, Michael Elias specifically mentioned at the end of the year that the Orioles, whenever Matt Harvey was on the mound, for whatever reason, did not play great defense behind him. Strangely enough, he had a lower fielding independent pitching. I tweeted this out at Paul Mancano, subtle plug, than John Means did in 2021. He had a 4-6-0 fielding, fielding independent pitching, or FIP. John Means had a 4-6-2 last year, and part of that is due to Means being, you know, giving up the home run ball as well. Is Matt Harvey going to come back on a major league deal? I tend to doubt it, but I tend to also doubt that he's going to get major league deal offers from other teams around baseball. So I think that Matt Harvey makes sense on a minor league deal here with an invite to spring training and you try to continue the work that you started with him last year. And if he doesn't make the team, if he doesn't pitch well enough in spring training, you let him go and it's no harm, no foul. But I think if you're able to get him back, on a minor league deal, I think Matt Harvey makes a lot of sense. Yeah, this is a really interesting 4-5 because I think Andrew Heaney makes sense if you think you can get the home runs down. But that's a huge if. So I'm going to lean Matt Harvey as well because of the familiarity. Yeah. Tim, what do you think? I see Harvey coming back, honestly. And I think, Paul, you touched on it because who else is going to take a chance on him? It just feels like it makes sense for both parties for him to come back on that minor league deal would fit the budget. We'll see what happens from there. And the home runs do scare me about Heaney. I know that maybe you could make the case that him coming out of the bullpen was part of the reason why he struggled, but I watched a lot of those Yankee games and it just seemed like he was not firing on all cylinders in the second half of the year. Yeah. New York was not kind to Andrew Heaney, nor was this free agency bracket where he draws a tough first round matchup with Matt Harvey. The three, six interesting here, John Gray from Colorado Look, Colorado pitchers are always really hard to evaluate because they are playing at Coors Field. You don't know how they are going to perform outside of that. John Gray was actually an interesting case where his ERA away from Coors Field was higher than it was at Coors Field. So maybe the Orioles could look at that. But he's got good stuff. He's just 30 years old. Again, the advanced stats like him. He had a 395 expected ERA last year and a 2.3 war. And then Alex Wood is probably going to command more money. You would probably need to give him a two- or three-year deal with more money attached. He had a 383 ERA on a very good Giants team this year, facing a lot of really good lineups in the Dodgers and Padres pretty frequently. He had over a 50% ground ball percentage, which would play really, really well at Camden Yards if he's not allowing a ton of fly balls. I think Alex would make sense, but do the Orioles give him the money? I was surprised when I saw Alex Wood was 31 years old. It feels like he's been in the league for forever. Yeah. Going back to his days, of course, with the Dodgers, he debuted very young, and that ERA is great. The 9.9 strikeouts per nine this past year is great. I don't know if I trust a whole lot coming out of that San Francisco rotation. Everybody, like, similar with the infield. They got these career years out of these 30-plus-year-olds, and how much is that going to translate once you take them out of that giant system? The other factor here is, Alex Wood is a lefty. The Orioles are returning John Means. They're returning Bruce Zimmerman, who I think will probably be a starter next year. And then they have starting candidates like Keegan Aiken, Zach Lowther, and Alexander Wells, 
who are all lefties as well. And then you have Kevin Smith as a potential lefty. That's six guys that I mentioned that could be lefties. I don't know if the Orioles, I don't know how much they'll consider it, but I think it is a factor here. I think they are more likely to sign a right-handed pitcher than they are a lefty because of the number of solid lefty prospects that could start games for the Orioles this year. Yeah, I think John Gray probably has the edge for me here. He's got good strikeout numbers. He's a good stuff guy. And again, I don't think the Orioles are going to give the money to Alex Wood because he's probably going to command two or three years, probably somewhere in the 20 to $30 million range. I don't think they give him that. Yeah, I he, he does have some factors that I think will allow, uh, Alex Wood will allow him to age gracefully, and I think he will still be a good pitcher, and I think a lot of teams are going to see that, and they're probably going to pay him a little too much. So I would, I would give John Gray the edge here. Yeah. Tim, what do you think? It's kind of a toss-up for me. I think that Wood's been actually pretty dependable and consistent for a starter in that price range, but he's also in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, at least last year with the Giants, and how good would he be if he came over to Orioles Park? I know that you guys touched on the ground ball rate a little bit, and that may make him age a little bit better, but I think I'll give the edge to Gray because he is a righty and Wood's a lefty. All right, so Gray moves on. Final matchup here, Brandon. Yeah, you mentioned the Giants pitching rotation and not sure if you're trusting them. How about the seventh seed? Anthony DiSclefani, 32 years old, was fantastic for the Giants last year, had a 3.17 ERA, a great home run rate. He's another one. Going to get paid, but would be a fantastic number two or number three starter for the Orioles for probably the three- or four-year deal that some team is going to give him. And he goes up against the number two seed, Tyler Anderson. Did not put up fantastic numbers. He had a 4.53 ERA, a 4.21 expected ERA, but he did have a 2.1 Fangraphs work. He was pretty good last year. Another lefty, he's 32 years old. Not sure if the Orioles are going to go after another lefty in that rotation, but Tyler Anderson probably won't cost you that much to be a somewhat dependable number four, number five starter in the rotation. Yeah, and Tyler Anderson, that 4.53 ERA, that feels right in the range of what the Orioles are looking for. Uh, they're not, I don't think they're going to spend all that much on a guy with a sub four ERA for his career. And Anderson being very solid, being a four six two ERA guy throughout his career. You know, aside from 2020, he's been very steady throughout his career. And honestly, even though that, uh, you know, four six two or four five three is not great for an ERA, starting pitchers are go very quickly at the deadline and teams end up getting a lot more for starting pitchers than they probably should because teams are always looking for depth at starting pitcher. That's part of the reason he was traded in the middle of the season, despite the fact that he's not an ace and he's probably not even a two or three on a playoff team. So I think Anderson here, I would give the edge to, even though he is a lefty because Di Sclafani to me has Alex Cobb kind of written all over it. He is the opposite of Anderson in that he has not very steady, but he shows flashes throughout his career. That 317 ERA, that looks awesome, but you go throughout his career. He's had injury issues. Um, he's shown flashes, but he's 32 years old, so how much are those injuries going to be a factor for him as he ages? To me, I would have some serious warning signs, and given what he's going to cost, I don't know if the Orioles are willing to shell out that kind of money for a guy that's Still has some major question marks. Yeah, I don't think the Orioles paid Di Sclafani, and I think Anderson is good enough to be a somewhat dependable number four starter. Yeah, so all right. probably opt for Anderson. Anderson moves on, but Tim, what do you think about these two pitchers? Anderson throws a lot of strikes, which is nice. I think he'll eat some innings for you, which the Orioles could frankly need next year. And then 
DeSlafani is just a little bit more risky, in my opinion. You hit on all the right points there, Paul. I just think there's some good potential that last year was kind of a fluke for him, and there's some injury history there that sort of scares me. All right, that completes. Am I getting this right this time? Yeah, you Officially got it. Officially <laughs> completes the first round uh, in our four divisions. So I think we can go a little bit faster when it comes to the, because we spent a yes. lot of time in that first round, but uh, as we go on, you know, you've already or heard our spiel about each of these guys. So we're now down to the uh, Sweet 16 already. Woo. Let's start, go all the way back to the very beginning, yep. where we started, catchers. We have Sandy Leone going up against Austin Romine. Brendan, who would you give the edge to here? Give me Austin Romine. I think Sandy Leone is a little bit too much of a black hole in the lineup, and I don't think you can afford to have him play consistently in the first half of the year. He had a 38 OPS plus last year. That's horrendous. Give me Austin Romine. I would give Sandy Leone the edge here because of the fact that, like Tim mentioned, he handled a young pitching staff in Miami. That's what he's going to need to do here. I think that I would give the edge to Sandy Leone, but what do you think, Tim? You're going to be our tiebreaker. I'm going to go Sandy Leone as well. I think he's just in that exact range that the Orioles will be looking for. Romine, I guess you could say kind of the same stuff, but he he missed a lot of games last year, and I don't know if that maybe is going to scare off Mike Elias a little bit because as much as the Orioles do have Adley Rutzman coming, it's you need a guy for a good chunk of time here. There's not a lot of depth at that center position. Absolutely. Or catcher position. All right. Our only other matchup now left in the catcher division here, Kurt Suzuki against Robinson Chirinos. Little refresher, Robinson Chirinos 37, Kurt Suzuki 38, two guys that are pretty up there. This is a, a close matchup here as well. Neither of these guys is going to be a huge upgrade for you. I would probably go with Robinson Torinos, however, because I think that he is used to taking a back seat and he will need to take a back seat once Adley Rutschman comes up here. I think that he's he was good enough at the start of 2021 and he was good enough offensively that if he gets off to a hot start, I think you can potentially trade him Whereas Kurt Suzuki, I'm not quite sure he would hold trade value. Yeah, Chirinos is better and probably won't cost that much more than Kurt Suzuki. Give yeah, Chirinos. All right. Yeah, yeah, he's better defensively as well. So Chirinos moves on. Tim, what do you think? Would you go with Chirinos over Suzuki here? I would, yeah. I think the Orioles should go for him, and I think he's more likely because he has more deadline appeal, like you said, Paul. All right. So we are down to... Two final catchers. Let's go over to third base and narrow that down. Yeah, Jonathan VR, Marwin Gonzalez. An interesting matchup here. Two guys who are very versatile. VR, I think, is probably more likely to be an everyday third baseman than Marwin Gonzalez. I give the edge to VR. I give the edge to Marwin Gonzalez. Ooh. I think that the, that Houston connection's great. I just, I feel like Marwin Gonzalez is a better defensive player, more versatile. And I think they favor that more over a more offensive guy. And his versatility is so key. I mentioned it earlier, but because you have Jemai Jones and Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias, I think you want to be able to move him around and give different guys days off on different days. I I would go with Marwin Gonzalez here. Tim, you're the tiebreaker once again. Paul, I'm with you. Let's go. Give me the upset, Marwin Gonzalez. Because also, I think VR... What would he, what would you guys say like two years ten mil for him or something like I think you're committing more to him and Gonzalez just fits the plans a little bit more. Yeah, I I totally agree. Uh, Tim has sided with Paul on all of these tiebreakers, and I just like to call out the collusion <laughs> that's happening. Anyway, the next seed to advance to the Elite Eight: Leori Garcia and Jake Lamb. Leori Garcia 
You know what you're getting out of a versatile player. He is better than Jake Lamb, but do the Orioles pay him and not opt for the bounce back season with Jake Lamb? I think I'm going to go Garcia. I think they can afford him. I would go Garcia as well. It comes down to, do you think this guy is an actual upgrade over what you have? And to me, a guy like Jake Lamb, who hit just 194 last year, 674 OPS, is that an upgrade over Calvin Gutierrez? Probably not. So I would go with Larry Garcia, though I don't love this matchup. So we go chalk with catchers. We've got the one-seed Sandy Leone, the two-seed Robinson Torinos, and then for third base, it's the... Th- the four seed, Marwin Gonzalez, and the six seed, Leori Garcia. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, let's move over to uh, middle infield where we try to get this down to two guys here, Brendan. Our first matchup, Wilmer Flores, the one seed, going up against old friend Jose Iglesias. Now, the, the biggest question mark for me here in this matchup is are the Giants motivated enough to re-sign Wilmer Flores? And I think that while he fits what the Orioles need, he really makes a whole lot of sense for them in the middle infield. I just feel like the Giants, he was too valuable for them on a very good 100-plus win, win team last year. I think they probably bring, bring back Wilmer Flores, and that's why I think Jose Iglesias is more likely to land in Baltimore. Well, regardless of whether the Giants bring him back, I'm going to go Jose Iglesias anyway, just Upset. because I think Iglesias gives you more value as a shortstop. Wilmer Flores is... Not great at shortstop. You'd probably need to stick him at second. I think Iglesias could potentially be more valuable. I, yeah, yes, but I do th- I do worry. But that that declining defense is no joke. Like, he has yeah. gotten worse defensively he each has. of the last three seasons, and he has partly due to injuries. However, I think Iglesias is going to come back. I don't know if he, he will, but <laughs> more likely than Wilmer Flores coming in. So Jose Iglesias moves on, Tim. I agree with you guys. I was really excited to maybe go against Brendan again there because Paul, all your points on Iglesias, I agree with for the most part there. I just think Flores probably resigns with the Giants. Absolutely. And then uh, uh, the other matchup in that division, in the middle infield division, Andrelton Simmons and Cesar Hernandez. Now I gave Cesar Hernandez the two seed and I gave Simmons the three seed. And I'm honestly rethinking it. I want to go with Andrelton Simmons here. I'm going with Simmons. He has such bounce back potential in terms of what you could possibly get for him at the trade deadline. If that offense gets somewhere back to what he has done over his career, the defense is so elite. He could be one of the better shortstops in the American League. The question here is money. Are you willing to give Andrelton Simmons maybe $5 million a year over Cesar Hernandez, maybe $1.5 million a year? I'd say so. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll lean right here towards... I don't know what the <laughs> Orioles are thinking. I don't know where they're going to go here, but I would lean towards Andrelton Simmons. Me too. All right, Tim? I'm going to go Simmons as well. I guess it's a little bit concerning that he had his down year in a quote-unquote contract year because obviously motivation was there. But again, I laid it out earlier, like his defensive presence is something that a lot of these other guys in this region don't really have. Yeah. All right. Starting pitchers. Brendan. Lead us off. I'm going to lose here again with Vince Velasquez against Matt Harvey. I'm going to go Velasquez. I think the stuff is intriguing enough where the Orioles could look at him as a similar player to Jorge Lopez and bring him in on a low-risk, high-reward deal. I know it's still pretty likely that they could bring in Matt Harvey on a minor league contract. Again, maybe this is just me believing that Vince Velasquez can maybe turn things around and it's a low-risk signing. I'm going to go Velasquez. I think given what we know about the Orioles front office, what did they do with Wade LeBlanc last year? Even when he had a down 2020 and suffered injuries, they brought him back on a minor league deal because they liked his veteran presence and they 
appreciate the guy that they've already seen up close and had in house yep. and they like. So I would go Matt Harvey here. I know I'm going to lose this Tim? one. Tiebreaker. Yeah, you're going to lose again, Brendan. I just think you know what you're getting in Matt Harvey and Paul laid it out. Like he's safer. Velasquez is riskier. I definitely yeah. agree that there's some potential there. And I do think Mike Elias has targeted guys like Velasquez in the past, but Harvey to me should be like a one seed in this region, just because we know what we got from him last year. He wasn't good. And I know maybe this is discouraging to some Orioles fans, but I think he will come back. Yeah. It's you're continuing the work. You already have a foundation with him. He already has, has worked with your pitching coach and he's already figured out some stuff that has helped. So I think you just continue that work with Matt Harvey. So he moves on. And then our last pitching matchup here, Brendan. Yeah, John Gray and Tyler Anderson. I'm going to give the edge to Gray because I think he, A, he's a righty, which the Orioles could potentially need in this rotation. B, again, I think the stuff is there. The strikeout numbers have been good over his career. Tyler Anderson is safer. You know what you're getting with him. He is going to be a probably pretty solid number four. John Gray, if he lives up to his potential in terms of his stuff, he could be a number two, number three. So I'm going to opt for John Gray. This is close for me. And I think I'm going to go with Anderson, although I'm not confident about either of these guys. This is not a matchup I feel very good about. Uh, I do think because Tyler Anderson was traded in the middle of last season, I think the Orioles look at that and they say, we know what we're getting there and we we think that we can trade him again. So I would go Anderson, but it's, it's close for me. Tim, be the tiebreaker here. I'm for once with Brendan here. I'm sure he's happy to hear that. But I think the righty versus the lefty there is a slight edge for me. And I think Gray's stuff is just a little more potential to it, which will be a little bit more appealing for the Orioles. All right. Gray moves on, and we have our Elite Eight. Yeah. Can we get the, like, CBS basketball music, or would that violate some kind of copyright? And it's not all chalk. I'm happy about this. Yeah. Matt Uh, Harvey, the four. John Gray, the three. Are you going to sing One Shining Moment when we... Crown our champion? I think we should. The ball is tipped. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Is that the right key? I don't know. All right. Uh, all right. Let's get start with our Elite Eight here. Catchers. Sandy Leone against Robinson Chirinos. Who moves on to the final four? Chirinos is better. Give me Chirinos. I... You, it's close. I would probably go Chirinos as well. Boom. Chirinos moves on. Tim, what do you think? Would you have gone Sandy I Leone? I was going to pick Chirinos too, so oh, there I'm we glad go. that I wasn't uh, the deciding vote that time. All right. I was torn. Robinson Chirinos is the first one of our players in the final four. All right. Third base. We've got Marwin Gonzalez, Leori Garcia, two very similar players. I'm going to go Garcia. I'm going to go Marwin Gonzalez. Tim. Marwin Gonzalez. You already knew it, Brendan. I've been riding him the whole time. I think he has a lot of potential to sign with the Orioles. In fact, like out of the guys left, I think that's a pretty strong possibility. I've I've talked myself into him. Uh, like over the course of this podcast for some reason. The Um, Elias connection, I I really think is a big part of it too. I agree. All right. And then uh, let's go third, sorry, middle infield. We have our elite eight pairing of Jose Iglesias and Andrelton Simmons. This is a great matchup too. I just don't know if the Orioles want to spend $5 million. I'm using $5 million as a baseline, but that's my estimation on a middle infielder. And I think that's what Andrelton Simmons will cost. I do. Andrelton Simmons it's close. It's close. I would opt for Jose Iglesias. Tim, what do you think? I'm going to go Simmons here. And that's kind of a heart play because I would really like to see it happen. Paul, you're probably right. He's a little pricier, but 
gosh, I mean, they need some depth to that position. Like I know that Mateo's kind of intriguing and there's some, some stuff there, but I'd like to see them go for Simmons. If the, if the market falls out from underneath Andrelton Simmons, Orioles, I think will definitely swoop in and, and make a strong offer there. All right. Final elite eight matchup, Matt Harvey, John Gray. To me, it's Matt Harvey. I know I'm going to lose here again. I'm going to go John Gray, Tim. Yeah, it's Matt Harvey. Yeah. I again, I think he should have been the one seed in the pitcher region. They they already know what they're getting in him. And Paul, you said it with the foundation that they've already laid. Like, why not just bring him back? He's not going to go anywhere else, I don't think. No. All right. Final four. We've got like the raised court now so that we can fit the camera on the baseline. Got all the hype. I don't know what city the final four is in this year, but I don't know. It's exciting. Robinson Chirinos is our representative from the catcher region. Going up against Matt Harvey, our representative from the pitcher region. Ooh, this one's tough. I mean, Torinos, I think, fills more of an immediate need because you don't have catchers on the roster at this they point. Will, we, I think they will sign a catcher. We are assuming that Pedro Severino will not return. Austin wins is already gone. You need a catcher right now. So I'm going to go Torinos just based off the fact that the Orioles just flat out do not have a catcher. But... Well, they sign this catcher. And I think if they're going to sign a pitcher, the same same way, they're going to sign at least one pitcher to at least a minor league deal. Even if they don't hand out any major league deals. I go Matt Harvey here. Tim? Gosh, I'm torn. I wanted, I think Chirinos, because the catcher position is so needed. I, like, who else is even there? And even when you look at minor league guys that could come to the MLB level next year, I really believe in Adley Rutschman. I think he's going to be there by the midway point of next year. But at the same time, like that's still a good chunk of time and you could have injuries there. And we want to see Rutschman maybe play DH or first base as well. So you got to get a catcher. So Torinos is the representative from this half of the bracket. Sure. He moves on. Yeah. All right, he's on our championship matchup. Brendan, take us through the third baseman and middle infielders. The other final four matchup, this is incredibly intriguing because you've got Marwin Gonzalez that can play every position on the field pretty well. And then you've got Andrelton Simmons, who is an elite defensive shortstop that can play shortstop really well, but will not bounce around anywhere else. I've talked myself into Andrelton Simmons, and I'm going with Andrelton Simmons. And I've talked myself into Marwin Gonzalez, who I am almost positive will be cheaper. He definitely will. But Andrelton Simmons, I think, has so much potential at the deadline to possibly deal him if he gets that offense up. The value's there. I'm going Marwin Gonzalez. Uh, Tim, be our tiebreaker. This is like picking between two kids for me. I, I don't, <laughs> don't break my heart, because, Tim. <laughs> because I like them both so much and I'd like to see them, but Gonzalez is just more in the price range that the Orioles yes. are after. I think there is a possibility that Simmons goes for like five, six mil, and we're just not willing to pay that. The championship matchup. Robinson Chirinos against Marwin Gonzalez. Just as everyone expected. And I am... Rolling with Marwin Gonzalez, Brendan. Woo. What are you going with? I'm going Chirinos. The Orioles need a catcher. There is no way they leave this offseason without signing will a it catcher. Be this catcher. So I, I don't know. I'm going Marwin Gonzalez. Tim, <laughs> all the pressure is on. Decide the winner. <laughs> the ball is in Tim's hands. This is the Villanova UNC game. At the very end, shot clock is down. Buzzer beater. What are you going with? 
Marwin Gonzalez. We got to do it, Paul. We <laughs> made go. it this far. I we did. There's there's a lot of guys at the catcher position that are like Chirinos, yes. which I think it's tougher for me to confidently say that he will be the catcher they decide on. And I don't know. I've talked myself into Gonzalez too much during this podcast to not just crown him the champion. The Orioles will sign Marwin Gonzalez. You heard it here first. The four seed. The Marwin Gonzalez. Seed. What a Cinderella story. One shining moment. There it is. Uh, <laughs> wow. What a uh, what a championship and what a march. I thought there was a chance Marlon Gonzalez. I didn't even vote for him first this, round. Yeah. This is how I feel at the end of March Madness when you're like in mid-April and you're like, all right, I've seen a little too much basketball. Like, I kind of haven't done anything with my life the last month. I kind of want to move on from this. He won on a tiebreaker in round one and goes on to win the whole thing. All right, Tim, who's going who's gonna to make the final four in the real NCAA tournament? Syracuse, year? Syracuse, Syracuse, Syracuse. Yeah. I asked Tim. I mean, Benny Williams and Syracuse are heading there. Yeah. I, I actually think Marwin Gonzalez, some similarities to Syracuse in 2003, right? Like three <laughs> to four seed range, goes on a little bit of a run there. I, got I, it. Look, I, I believe in Marwin Gonzalez at this point. I've talked myself into him. We're not making many fans here as we have a lot of Maryland listeners, yes. probably yeah, some Georgetown listeners. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Tim, thanks so much. We've already taken up way too much of your time. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, being the, the great tiebreaker vote. Really appreciate uh, you lending your insight here. Guys, it was an honor. It was a blast to join you guys. Also, shout out to Brendan for the bracket making as a guy Thank that you. is very self-conscious of his handwriting. <laughs> I was very impressed at, at how that came together. So yeah. props to you guys. This was a lot of fun. Only Only compliments we want from the chat about how this bracket looks. Okay, we don't look. Wanna, I got made got, fun of during the draft yeah. for how my whiteboard looked. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Um, so our final four, just to reiterate, Robinson, Chirinos, Matt Harvey, Anderton Simmons, Marwan Gonzalez. In theory, the Orioles could sign all four of those guys. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Brendan, at Brendan Morty is your Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. A huge, huge thanks to Bobby Blanco, our producer today, for all those graphics, all those uh, headshots, all those highlights that he had to incorporate in today's show as we went from 32 players to one singular free agent. And Marwin Gonzalez is grand champion of the free agent bracket. And of course, please, yeah, I know you were letting us know a lot through the live chat, but after, if you're watching after the fact, let us know in the comments what you think of our bracket. Are we way off? Are we overlooking a guy? Are we giving too much weight to some of these guys? Who do you think the Orioles was, will sign? What positions? Uh, definitely let us know and we will monitor that uh, as the offseason goes along and free agency begins in just a couple days. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be back next week, and I think, Brendan, we're going to talk Trey Mancini, who, by the way, got engaged Yay. in the past day or so. I think they're in Ireland to Sarah Perlman, former host of Mass and All Access. Congratulations Yay. to the two of them. Uh, and uh, we so we close out our podcast on a, a, a love note. There. Yeah. There Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week.